Good morning. Hey, super glad that you're here. I want to welcome uh, this weekend. We go back to doing our live streaming rather than pre-recording during the week. So uh, for all of you that are here in person and all of you that are watching online right now, I want to welcome you back to our services. Maybe you're watching and you didn't realize that we've been meeting live. Ta-da! We're meeting live again. And so um, if you're in a place where you feel like, hey, I'd like to join them, uh, that's what Daniel was talking about on the reservations. That's how we... Um, are uh, trying to honor the authority that is above us. Uh, we have to limit right now the number of people that we have in a service and um, be aware childcare right now uh, is not something that we're able to provide, we hope, soon. Um, I just don't know exactly when. Stay tuned for further details. But uh, if you are able to join us on the weekend, Saturday at 4 and then Sunday at 9 and 11, uh, we're live. And if it works best for you to uh, just follow along live stream. That's great. If you want to go ahead and pull up the notes, uh, I'm going to jump into the message. We're in a series called The Life You've Always Wanted. It's our summer series, and we're using it um, as sort of an overarching theme to then teach one-off messages about things that would create the life you've always wanted. So um, this weekend is Father's Day weekend. Today is actually Father's Day. When I teach because of the video, I'm not supposed to date anything, right? And I just like violated three things in one <laughs> sentence right there. So it's Father's Day. Uh, what's today, the 20th? 21st, 2020. There, I killed the whole thing. Um, <laughs> Let's just get it over with. So um, we, we want to welcome all fathers into this weekend um, and then do this. How do I take the message, the life you've always wanted, connect it to the idea of Father's Day? And um, I, I've got something I feel like is really unique and it's special. It's pretty vulnerable. Um, it, it was far more vulnerable when I wrote it. I knew but then when you teach it, you end up going some places emotionally that you're just like, wow. So when I leave, after being vulnerable, which I think is one of the things that people like about how I teach, right? It's just real, it's raw, and it's vulnerable. And I'll open my life up and just teach from there. The problem with that is when I'm driving home, I'm like, why did you go there? Why did you let people see that? Why did you say that? And so Terry and I were just talking a minute ago. Uh, let me th Pastor Terry did a great job last weekend, didn't he? Yes, it's, I, I appreciate Terry. He's, he's just a, a wonderful, wonderful man and uh, just such a great pastor, and I appreciate him. Um, so Terry and I were talking just a moment ago, and he said, you know, is it hard for you after you experience that in the first service to get back there in the second service? And that is a great question because here's the thing. After you go that, that sort of that vulnerable, then you're automatically, you hedge against it a little bit, right? I'm not going to go back there again. I'm not going to let that happen. Um, and, and then here's the thing. I don't know if you calculate this. I think you get it. We are not rehearsed. We do not get up here and practice like, how, okay, how are we going to be? I'm going to say this. You guys come listen to this sentence and tell me if it works. Yeah, we, don't, we don't do that. It happens spur of the moment. It's things that God leads us into right then and there. But So how do you duplicate that then, right? After it happens one time and you know that it's God can use it, but it was just so raw and so real, how do you duplicate that again? Because the last thing that I am is like an actor up here. What you see in space and time is what's actually happening in my heart uh, while I'm teaching it. So there's a little bit of a hesitancy to go back there this morning. And then there's a little bit of like, I don't want to try to make something happen. So I've already predetermined, yeah, I'm not, I'm just not going to do it. And as I'm over there in that last song, your way is better. I feel like the Lord said, what if I want you to do that? So I'm wrestling <laughs> with God over there and I'm just like, you know, okay, I'll do it. So I don't know what's going to happen. I, may, maybe he just wanted to hear me say I surrender and I can be normal up here for uh, the message. I don't know. We'll see. So anyway, that's, that's what we're teaching on us about fathers today. Um, and uh, let me begin this way. I think this was centennial. I'm not uh, 100% positive. It was here in Colorado and on the front range, but I think it was Centennial Airport. And recently <clears throat> there was a guy who took a flying lesson, very first time uh, going up hires uh, the pilot, you know, signs up for the lessons, and they go up in the plane, and the man's never, ever, um, this is his first time. Uh, and while they're up flying, uh, the pilot has a heart attack and is incapacitated, and the guy has to take over, and it's his first time in an airplane. 
And so he had taught him, the pilot had taught him a few of the basic things, how to use the radio, what was what in the airplane, that type of thing, right? Just, just very basic. So the guy gets on the radio and he calls back to the tower and he tells them what happened, that the pilot is just simply incapacitated. And so someone in the tower, here was the very first sentence of instruction, don't touch anything, <laughs> which is good for five minutes or so, right? It'll work for five minutes, don't touch anything. And then listen to this, they actually were able, they brought someone in who actually was able to teach him how to land that airplane. And it was starting to get dark. So the guy had to do a fly around. He actually flew over the airport to get an idea of what they were telling him where to land. And as it was getting dark, so the lights are on now, that guy landed that airplane and was able to get he and the pilot back down on the ground and to safety. It's a tremendous story, right? It also uh, just totally guaranteed that I will never get a pilot's license, ever. I will never. There is a guy in our church, Gary Vogt, that I love, and Gary's the pilot of a small plane, and Gary's always like, whenever you want to go up, just give me a call. I never call him. Uh, never, never. I'm like, dude, I, you know, you go for it, but I am not going up in that. So um, it, 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 it reminded me, though, of how a lot of men approach fathering. Is all of a sudden you get put into this situation, right? It's just, boom, it happens. You're a father and it's like, okay, I don't want to mess it up. So I'm not going to touch anything and it'll work for a little bit, but it's not enough to not know what to do. You got to know what to do. Do you agree with that statement right there? It's not enough to just keep your hands off of it. It's not enough to just like, okay, I don't want to mess it up. So I'll just be quiet. Hey, Gary, I didn't know you were in here. Sorry about that, man. <laughs> I love your flying. <laughs> I'm just not going with. <laughs> it was a terror look, wasn't it? Like, uh, he, well, he's, he's on the board. So now I'm like, do I have to go? So it's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm teasing. Um, so just, just approaching fatherhood with that idea of, look, I don't want to mess anything up. So I just, it, the best thing I can do is just not to do too much. And it's just, it, it's really fathering from fear or from ignorance as opposed to fathering from confidence and from knowledge, right? You agree with that statement? So what, what does God say about that? And, and, and what can we teach on that? And just be honest with you, it's one of the things that's deep in my wheelhouse. I love being a father. You know, what JJ said at the end of worship right there, just being a father's the best. He, he's not just like saying that because it's he loves to, and he's a good father, I watch how Jay uh, fathers my grandchildren, and I am so proud of the way that he, he's just a natural at it. I don't know, if, I don't know if that, you know, is there such a thing as a natural? He, he's just automatically good at it. He had a good dad too, and, and it made it something that's really fun for him, and he's just always playing with them and always investing in them. Katie told him this recently. Uh, Jay, right now you're in the years where you're sewing but it won't be too many more years before you begin to reap the fruit of all your sowing right now. And that's one of the things that fathers have to remember, younger fathers, is that it seems so, um, you know, this is just, it's like off the beaten track. I didn't talk about this last night, but just when you're at that, uh, at that age, here, here's a message that I'm working on. This is where this comes from. I think that there are seasons of life, and I think that in just, I think there's seasons of motherhood. And I also think that there's seasons of fatherhood. I think that young fathers, when you're in that springtime and they're little and you're sowing and sowing. So I would say that right now I'm in the fall of fatherhood. I'm reaping a tremendous amount of fruit. One of my children texted me this morning for Father's Day and just, you know, asking a few questions. And I said, do you know anyone who's more blessed than I am? Anyone. And that's really how I feel. And I know that there are people who might argue that point with me and base it on maybe a lot of physical things, but spiritually, I can promise you, I don't know anybody more blessed than I am right now. I'm in that place of life where I'm reaping so much of what I sowed. And it really doesn't have anything to do with this particular message, except maybe I'm speaking to someone right now who wonders, is it worth it? You bet it is. Don't stop sowing, man. Keep putting seed in the ground. You just don't know when it's gonna come back to you. So I, I wanna talk today um, just about the importance of fathers. Um, uh, you know, let, let me say this, the message is not gonna go in this direction, 
but it could tie into this easily. And in fact, I've got a little video that I'm, if I have time, I'll show it to you that'll work with, with what I'm gonna talk about. But you know, in, in our culture, our society at large right now, um, with what we're seeing in, in Black Lives Matter, I would just say one of the things that I don't hear anybody addressing, nobody is saying this, and if there's gonna be any serious conversation into ever really fixing, endemically fixing, right? It will not be through a list of demands. Look at me, one of the missing elements in that culture are fathers, okay? And that's not judgment and I'm not being ugly. It is factual, it is there. Fathers are missing now for three generations in many, many young African-Americans' lives. And fathers are important. And we live in a culture that mocks fathers, downgrades fathers, makes fun. Look at any portrayal in media of a father and he's a buffoon, an idiot, or at least someone who doesn't know anything. And go talk to your mom because I don't know. And you're like, well, you know, is this just like a man-heavy, man-centric message? Hey, you weren't here on Mother's Day apparently. We honored moms. Today we're going to do fathers. When God reveals himself, when everything comes together, when, when the final revelation of God's character, his nature, the fullness of who he is, through history, when he would reveal himself in facets, he would put a name. Some of you who are skilled in the Bible, recognized that when God revealed himself, he revealed himself with a name. When he healed Israel, he was in Hebrew, Jehovah Rapha, meaning God, my healer. So he would reveal a facet of his character. God is a healer, but he's not just a healer. He is God, my covering. He is God, my provider. He is God, my protector. And every time he would act on behalf of Israel's good, and do something really just miraculous for them, he would reveal himself by his name to reveal a part of his nature and character. Now, Jesus comes to the earth and the fullness of God dwells with mankind and everything finally comes into full focus. Here's who God is. And when God is introduced fully, he gives the most simple name to know him by. Jesus taught it this way. When you pray, begin this way. Our The fullness of God is known in one word. Father. Father. I don't know who little voice said that, but good for you. You know, Father in Aramaic, when Jesus taught Father, it's the word, does anybody know? Abba. Abba is, um, it, it would be the equivalent of a child's first learning to say, Dada. So it's God teaching that he wants his children to know him. You want to know all the facets, everything that I am. You want all of my protection, all of my provision, all of my mercy, all of my goodness, all of who I am. It's in know me as dad. That's who I am. I'm your father. Uh, throughout the Old Testament, scriptures like this in uh, Psalms and in Proverbs, in your presence is fullness of joy. What is it about a father's presence when it's right that can bring such joy? But you know, this is true. What is it about a father's presence when it's wrong that can bring such terror? We're created in the image of God. And when we act like he acts, we can reproduce what he is. And when we act like the enemy, we can reproduce what the enemy is. It's just a fact of life. All through the Bible, the theology and the teaching of a father is there, the blessing of a father, the importance of a father, what a father does. Malachi chapter four, verse six, Malachi was a prophet who was prophetic. Malachi said this, this is what God will do. He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. There must be some type of divide that can happen between fathers and children that God has to touch to bring back together, yes or no? Yes. To bring them together. There has to be something supernatural, something spiritual, something that God himself is able to wrestle with. He'll turn the hearts of fathers to children and children to fathers. So if you're taking the notes and you want to write it down, I can't contain everything that I understand a father is, what a father does. It's a, it's a far greater message than one message. But I wrote down these three things that I think like, here, here's, here's what I think that if you get fatherhood 
If you're a father figure, if you have any of the influence of a father, right? And I realize it, it, it can be in different, different ways and means and, and possibilities, but let's just spring it together. Anyone who has any type of father experience, let me give you these three things that I think are just really powerful. So the first one is just the power of presence, the power of presence. I just said it uh, from the Old Testament, in your presence is fullness of joy. Something about the presence of a father is just so powerful. And something about the lack of a father's presence is so horrible. So I would just point to in our society right now, um, again, I don't want the message to go this way, but just, just I, I recognize that there are multiple things. There, there is systemic racism. There is. Whether you like it or not, there is. There are opportunities that some people in power have that other people who don't have, and those things need to be addressed. And sometimes the church is the last one to come to the table on those things. And we should be the first one to come to the table on those things. But all those things aside right now, and just, just put them aside, this one thing, any serious conversation about how to fix it is not just going to be fixed in the natural. You've got to address the reason that fathers are absent in the lives of children. And until that is fixed, you can throw all the money in the world at it and it won't fix it. You can throw all the programs in the world. You can defund this. You can support that. It will not fix what God designed. You just can't get away from that. And you might think, man, that's old fashioned. Man, that just doesn't make sense. Pastor, believers are the ones who should be vocalizing this. And when the church doesn't come to the table with God's truth, we're letting the world and the enemy define how to fix the problem. We should be saying, yes, you need this. Yes, you can have that. Yes, we'll vote for this. And yes, how do we get fathers back in lives again too? It's an important issue that can't be denied. The power of presence. All right, I'm going to tell you a brief history. Some of you have been around our church long enough to hear my story. I don't talk about it much anymore for this reason. My mother goes to this church. And some of the things that happened in my childhood were not pleasant. And therefore, I, going back to revisit the past can hurt a parent. So for her sake, man... I push those things back and strain towards what's in front of us, right? But on occasion, it's my story. It's how God met me and what God did for me. So in a nutshell, very quickly, uh, you know, at three years old, my biological father, there wasn't a divorce. He just left. There was no like, hey, things aren't working out and let's figure out how to do the best things for the kids. He just, he was gone. And there were no Christmas cards, there were no phone calls, there were no birthday presents. I did not hear from him again until I was in my 30s. And the only way that happened is my younger brother wanted to find my father and went after, found him, and brought it into our situation. And then honestly, this is what happened. Uh, as we, <laughs> as we opened a door that probably should never have been opened, to be honest with you, he got this rare form of cancer and died. And so twice he's gone. Now here's God's goodness in the middle of that. My mom meets a man and his name is John Leach. You talk about an incredible man. That man loved another man's children like his own. It's the power of adoption. It's real. It's factual. And it can change everything for a kid. And he came into our lives and treated us like we were his. And he was so good that he gave me his name. And my brother, Steve, his middle name is John because both of us wanted to be named after our father. He was our father. I remember being at the doctor's one time when I was about eight years old. We both had the flu and we had to get a shot. And he was asking uh, my dad for a family history. So my dad began to give him his family history. And my mom had to stop him and say, John... I think that they need the boy's biological father's information. And my dad was like, oh, I forgot. It really is so powerful that God can erase, make it as though it never were. And when I was 11 years old, <laughs> right after turning, he was killed in a car crash. Just boom. It was 
horrible. Horrible. <laughs> you, I don't know how to say the next part because it's like what happened. My mom, I thank God for my mom. My mom never left us. No matter what happened, I always knew my mom would be there. But my mom was in such a, a difficult place. Two husbands, three little boys. Now what? And so... Um, Back to Denver we go. And uh, in a very vulnerable place, she met a guy who was married with two of his own children. And um, <laughs> my father had left our family pretty well off. And this guy spotted the money. And left his family and his daughters and came into our lives way too soon after the death of my father. And he was an alcoholic. And his way of dealing with things was with his fist and with his words. And he was just that guy. But that wasn't the worst thing about him. That wasn't the... Jerry wasn't... Um, it wasn't his fists or his words or even the drinking. That wasn't the worst. Those things, actually, you, you can deal with them. Here was the worst thing. In order to show us that he had all the power, we would come home from time to time and all of his stuff would be gone. He'd just go. So, so what does that mean? That means that like um, all the recovery changes everything. He'd go for two weeks, two months, six months, and the place we were living would have to be given up. We'd have to like figure out, and then they would reconcile, and the recovery process from that was that we'd move to a new school, we'd move to a new city, we'd move to a new house. From the time I was in fifth grade till I graduated as a senior, I went to a different school every year. It was a tough, tough way. So, so I was a really good kid until I turned 15. And here's what happened in 15. We were living in California at the time, San Diego. Probably the most stable time of my life uh, during those formative years. And everything for about two years had gone as good as it ever could have possibly gone. And then we came home one day and he was gone. Just gone. And this time he didn't come back and he was gone for almost a year. And we had to leave California and all of my friends in this good place we were finally at. And we had to go back to live with an uncle in Louisiana. And I became angry. I was mad. And I didn't know why I was mad. I was hurt. Been through a lot. You know, they say that hurt people hurt people. And I just wanted to hurt people. And so we were there and uh, he appears after 11 months and they're going to reconcile and we're going to leave now Louisiana and go to San Francisco. And I went for a couple of weeks and at 17 years old, this is what happened. I said, I'm not doing this anymore and you're going to have to either sit on top of me and hold me down, but I'm leaving and that's all there is to it. I'm done. And I took my life and I was going to be emancipated and I went to live with some friends in Louisiana. Now, you know, here's the thing. In one hand, um, I was justified. But in the other, I was not near old enough to take care of my own life. I was a kid. And so I go to Louisiana and I'm there through a school year. And I miss my brothers. And my family had gone to San Francisco, left San Francisco, come back to Denver. So I'm in Louisiana there in Denver, I called and I said, I'd like to come visit my brothers. And my mom said, you can do that, but we want you to go to church with us. And I'm thinking we'll go to mass because that's what we did. And I get back and they woke me up and we're going to go to Sunday school, Sunday school. <laughs> so I fought and argued and, you know, but I got up, I got dressed, um, I go to the church. It was in Lakewood, Colorado, a little assembly of God church right on Garrison and First. And I come inside this little small church and um, this woman says, how old are you? And I told her and she said, the Sunday school for you is downstairs. She takes me downstairs in the basement of this church, opens it up. There's half a dozen kids in this room, but one of them was the future Mrs. John Leach <laughs> sitting right there. And I was like, I like Sunday school. This might <laughs> be okay. 
So listen to the story real quick. But nothing was fixed. I was very broken. I was very angry. And I just wanted to make their lives as miserable as I could. So they'd say, hey, your curfew is 11 and I'd come home at 6 the next morning. And they'd say, you can't drink. And I would. They just, everything, I would do the opposite and just make it as miserable as I, and I, if you said, why are you doing this? I wouldn't have ever been able to tell you why, except that I was just so mad and I was so angry and I was acting out of that hurt. And they finally got to the point where they just said, listen, you're bringing such chaos to this house. We can't let you keep doing it. And it was just, just, just really bad. And so, um, in the middle of all of that, right? They're, they're going to pull this on me. I pull the ultimate power play on them. Just like my stepdad, I picked all my stuff up, didn't tell them and left. Went to Louisiana. And I was there for just a little bit. And uh, you know, the Bible says that the way of the transgressor is hard. And it was a hard life suddenly. It's so bad that I wanted to come back home because that was better than what I was doing here. And I came back home and now just imagine what I had done to my girlfriend. I had just done the very thing that I hated being done to me. Listen to a principle real quick. Here's the reason why you can't fix something by hating it because once you hate it and you get it in your heart, you'll become like the thing that you hate. You won't recognize it. You'll feel justified in what you do but you can never overcome hate with hate. You cannot. You'll become like the thing that you hate. Only when I say like it, you won't be a carbon copy of it, but you'll become whatever that thing is that caused that thing. You'll find yourself duplicating. You understand what I'm saying right there? So I'm coming back home and my mom and dad said this. Um, if, if you're going to stay here, so remember I'm 17. I haven't even turned 18 yet. If you're going to stay here, we're going to go to counseling. So we went to this pastor, poor pastor. We sat down with this pastor and it was my mom, my stepdad and me. And they just dump all the stuff that they don't like about me and all the problems that I'm causing at the house. And I just had enough. And so I'm just like, Bleh. and I told this pastor everything since I was 11 and a half that had happened in our family. And then the power guy turns and says, well, you just can't get up and leave whenever you feel like it. That's what he says to me. And I said in a real smart aleck voice, just like you, huh, dad? Yeah. And the pastor looked at me and I realized what I just said. <laughs> and my stepdad had no answer for it. And I realized, wow, it's broken, man. Very, very broken. And let me tell you that story real quick. Just that's that's where things were for me. That's the, that's the condition that I was in. That's the place that I was broken. And um, out of that, right, comes, I meet Jesus. And I would love to say you, in, like, in meeting Jesus, he just touched the inside of me and all this broken was gone. It's not the way it works. There was a way out of the brokenness, but the brokenness was a journey. Anybody? It was a journey. So I'm working my way back out of this brokenness while Chris and I begin to get serious. And a few years go by and um, it, it becomes so serious, we get married. And this product of what I just tried to describe to you, and I gave you a nutshell in 10 minutes of years of a life, just a lot of brokenness. But I meet Jesus and healing begins, but there's this brokenness. And so we get married and we begin our family. And now I'm going to be a father with that brokenness. Yay. <laughs> Happy Father's Day. And I think that that story that I told you about the guy that ends up riding in the airplane and the pilot suddenly is taken out and he's got to figure out what to do. That was me. And I knew what not to do. So don't hit your wife and don't abuse alcohol. Don't curse at your family and for sure don't leave. Do not leave. Keep your presence 
in your children's lives. Now, I would just say to you, a methodology for handling life is going at it. Okay, I won't do the things that are bad. Sure, that is one way. The problem is that's just like the minimum. What do you do to make it the maximum? The power of presence. Jesus said these really powerful words. Listen to this. Here's his promise. I'll never leave you and I'll never The word forsake means to abandon. Here's God's promise. I will never leave you and I will never leave you alone. I will always be with you. The minimum thing that we offer to our children, I will never leave you and I will never abandon you. I will be there in the morning. I will be there at nighttime. I will be there on the weekend. I will be there next week. I will be there when you fall. I will be there when you get up. I will be there when you fail. I will be there when you succeed. I will be there. And you just begin to stick. I would say one of the things about me is that all of the way I grew up, I decided my kids will never, ever experience this. So, you know, I've lived in one house for the last 20 years. Like I I had this like allergic reaction to the other. I've had one career. I've had one set of friends. I've had like one, one thing that I've, one wife. This is it. And just like, this is like, just, it's like an aversion to the other. I'm going to make this how I do life. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. But it's not enough to just know what not to do. As a father, you've got to know what to do. Part two of this came on a trip to Israel. It was 1994. Um, We're coming up in 94 on about 12 years of being married. And by then we've got all five kids, but they're all little. And some things are going well and some things are not going well. And some things I'm like, hey, I'm successful. I know I'll never leave and I know I'll never hit and I know I'll never like, okay, but there's more that they need from me. And here's the thing. You just don't know what you don't have until someone asks you to give something you can't give. You just, I don't even know if you heard what I said. That might've been worth the price of admission. You don't know what you don't have until someone asks you to give what you can't give. And the kids are at that place where they need something from me as a father. And I don't know how to give it. I know not to leave. I know not to abuse. I know not to, but what do you do? And I go to Israel, 94, and on Friday in Israel, it's the Sabbath, Shabbat. And our guide was an old man, already well advanced, 82, 83 years old. Man, he had the spirit of like a 20-year-old guy and the energy of a 15-year-old guy. I was just admiring this guy. He fought in their war for independence in 48. He had all these incredible stories. It was awesome. And I... On Friday, we're out touring and traveling and we're in Jerusalem and he's trying to get us back to the hotel by four o'clock. He wants to drop us off. He, he is like, you know, you, we, we always say if you go with us on the trip, we're going to run where Jesus walked because we're trying to see so much. But on this day, it's double time running in order to get done by four o'clock. And finally, on the way back, I just asked him, his name was Matanya, his nickname was Mati. I said, Mati, why are you in such a rush to get us back? And he said, John, today's the Sabbath, and I need to get back to my family. So just, just out of nicety, I said, what, what are you going to do? And man, you know, God's about to speak. God speaks through the most ordinary of circumstances sometimes, just ordinary. So a tour guide on a bus goes, my family gathers together from Friday night to Saturday night. And he said, we eat together and we hang out together. But he said, every time before they go back, and Israel's a small country, so they can do it far easier than we can here. But he said, every time before they go back to their homes, he said, I lay my hands on my children and my children's children, and I just speak the blessing over their lives. And I'm like, what what is that? He goes, you're a pastor, aren't you? Uh, Yes. I'm I'm just testing you, Monty. Tell me, I know, but do you know? And he said, John, do you remember Abraham? He said, the one thing we do have in common is that the father of our faith is Abraham. And I said, yeah. And he said, go back and look at Abraham and his sons. Uh, He said, Abraham would lay his hands on all of his sons and bless them, prophetically speak over their lives, who they were, what they would do, where they would go and what they would be. Go back and look at it, John, and look at how he did it. And he said, do you know where it comes from? It actually comes from God, that every time he was done with creation, he would say out loud, this is 
good. He would actually speak out loud his blessing. It's called the blessing. This is good. He would pronounce his blessing on it. He would bless it and say, this is good. And he said, so we just act in God's behalf when we bless our children, when we bless our children's children, when we bless our wives, when we speak forth the blessing over them, we're acting. It was like a lightning bolt from heaven. Ah, it's missing. I can do this. So I go back home and I I don't know what to do, right? So I, I read of the patriarch Abraham and I read how God did it and I read down through the lineage how these different men blessed their wives and blessed their children and their children's children. And so I put together this Jewish event. I got like 100 candles and I lit them all in the room. And then I bring my children in in this solemn ceremony, <laughs> sat them all down at the table, and I had on parchment these things that I had written over their lives. And Amy, she's the oldest, she was 10, nine or 10 at the time, all the way down to the twins who were, you know, they were only like four years old at the time. And I sit them all down and I go one by one and I just, I lay my hand on their head and I read this blessing. And I, so, I, you know, Nothing about me is supernatural. Nothing about, I'm ordinary. I'm as ordinary a person as, just ordinary. But God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. If there's one thing that you should get from this message, you, you do not need something. You have in you right now the ability to do the extraordinary because of God being on your side. So I go and I just begin to read to them what's in my heart for them. And the most emotional connection, I just begin to weep over my children. My heart. See, I always felt this way, but the blessing is not the blessing till it comes out of your mouth. You can feel it, but until you speak it, it has no power. Once you say it, it comes into life. There's a being, a feeling, a, 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 a reality to it suddenly. Uh, the, the best one, it was great for the kids, but then I came to Chris and I just blessed my wife. Oh, how I love this woman. How I love this woman, my partner, my best friend, my everything. And in my heart, I always felt she knew that. But then to speak it over her life, oh, God did such good things between the two of us. God, we had a good relationship, but then it was like someone put a supercharger on it. Oh, I had these things framed and then I put it on the door of my children's room, right on the wall, coming in and coming out because the blessing, according to God, is write it so that when they come in and when they go out, they experience the blessing. So when they'd walk in and walk out, they'd see their blessing. And that sounds kind of funny. And I know some teenagers would hear that and think, I hope my parents do not take this literally and do something like that. But I can tell you when my son's friends came to our house and read it, I had three of them ask me, would you do that for me? Would you do that for me? Your presence. Mm. Man, I kind of got stuck on one thing. I'm just asking the Lord right now what I'm supposed to do. So don't let the silence bother you. It doesn't bother me. I think this is right. The second one I just wrote, the power of protection. Katie said this, and I thought this was really good at our teaching team on Tuesday. She said, a mom is a defender. Listen to the words. A mom is a defender, but a dad is a protector. Now, is that just semantics? Because is a defender and a protector pretty much the same thing, or is there a difference there? So I think there's a difference. I think a defender, um, after the protector has done what he or she does, then the defender comes in and reinforces that. So there's like the establishment of it, and then there's the reinforcement of it. Does that make sense? And a mom is sort of the reinforcement over the years. 
that's like in there day in and day out and all the little conversations where the dad's like, boom, the big thing. And so I know that the power of a father's protection, one of the things that happens to families without that father of protection is that the enemy loves to come and destroy families with no protection. And he kills and he steals and he destroys. So he doesn't come in like a hurricane and just knock. He just takes their future and he takes their hope and he takes their fortune and he takes their dreams. Yes or no? This is how it works. You know, a protector stands in the gap. Your job as a father, as a believing father, is to stand in the way of the enemy pillaging your family. Don't let them have your children. Don't let them have your wife. Don't let them have your family. Stand in the way. Exercise your authority. God has given you authority, sir. Oh. So like I wrote down in my notes different ways that I've done that for each of my children. I just need to abbreviate this real quick. So one of our children, our second, Brent, Prince 34, special needs, lives with Chris and I. Um, Very, um, very advanced and yet can't live by himself. So we don't have to dress him and things like that, but we have to watch over him. So um, when he was in junior high school, one of the things that we wanted and that the school system believed in was mainstreaming him for part of the day so that he wasn't just in in special needs classrooms all day long with other special needs students. They would mainstream him into a regular classroom for those who were able to do it. And they would put him into a a mainstream two or three classes throughout the day. It was really good. Um, But when he was in the seventh grade, he was just, he was little. Everything for Brent developed late. He talked late. He was so sick all the time. He was such a small little guy. In seventh grade, he, didn't look, he looked like he was in like the fourth grade. So he hits that junior high, and you know how kids can be in junior high, right? And so he goes into this classroom, and, um, and he says things that he doesn't have the filter that you want. He doesn't have that, like the brain doesn't go like, maybe I shouldn't say that. He just kind of says what he And he doesn't mean anything bad by it, but someone who doesn't realize that can mistake what's being said. So he comes into this classroom and he was trying to be funny and he was trying to make people like him, but he said silly things that he shouldn't have said. And it made someone offended. And so their reaction to it is that when he would go to sit down in his desk, this little junior high kid would kick him in the back of the leg. Just kick him really hard. And then when Brent would turn around, because he's not fast and because he doesn't, he would turn around to see who it was and the kid would act like he was writing. So he'd look around the classroom and people would laugh and snickers. He'd turn back around and the kid would just kick the stew. So how did we find out? We began to find these, you know when a bruise has that yellowy green, you know the ones I'm talking about? Not the little black ones, but like just those humongous ones where it's blood under the skin, right? So we're finding these really horrible, these, these bruises, and we're asking him, and he's klutzy. So we're thinking, you know, like we see one, that's nothing. But to see, son, what are you doing? What's going on here? What's happening? And so he would, because he didn't know who was doing it, he, he would tell us it's happening at my desk. And we could, but we, it kept happening. So when we finally figure out what's going on, And it was a little kid behind him, a little junior high kid that was kicking him. Pastor John doesn't go to the school. Dad John goes to the school. Why? Because I was going to kill a seventh grader. I was going to rip his head off, literally. Rip it off. Now, I'm not very big, but I'm bigger than a seventh grader. I can tell you that. And I can do some damage, man. And I will kill a seventh grader. And I went to the school to do damage. I was so mad. And I am exaggerating right now, but I was mad. And I didn't go to make friends and influence people. I went to make sure this never happens again. And I will bring every force I can bring, including right now my anger 
into this situation. You will not tell me no. You will not push me off. And you will not act like I'm the crazy one in the situation right now. All hell's going to break loose. It did not happen again. That little kid was suspended and there was no mercy on our part for it. Pastor, why tell us stories like that? That's a dad's heart. Can a mom be like that? You bet. But there's something about when a dad does it. There's just something about that that a kid recognizes. That's my dad and no one's coming through him. No one. That's my dad. And when that's missing, man, imagine what the enemy does in that situation. You know what's really funny now? With my mom, I'm not her dad, but I'm becoming like her dad right now. It's really funny. She had this doctor recently where she needed an operation and she was hurting so bad. And this guy was just telling her, you need to take Tylenol and rub this topical stuff that you get over the counter on it, right? And my mom was suffering. And I kept telling her, tell him how you're suffering. She would, I'm telling him, but they're not listening. And finally I said, give me the number. And I got a hold of this guy, literally got a hold of him, not his service, him. And he said, who are you? And I said, I am her son. And he said, I've never had a son take it this far. I said, we're just beginning, sir. We're not at the end of the, we're just beginning right now. You need to do this for, if you're going to operate on her, you need to take care of her pain too. And it was a Donnybrook. You know how it ended up? I had to say, you will not operate on my mom. And it was a knockdown drag out, but no one's there to defend my mom. So I will do it. Gladly, I will do it. I don't know how to say what I'm saying. I know it sounds bravado. It sounds like, uh, you know, um, some masculine thing run amok. It's not. It's the thing that God puts in the heart of a father to turn his heart to use. It's not, it's not out of control. It's not a bully that goes through the world picking fights and looking for trouble. It's someone who just says, you can't cross this line with mine. Out here, go do whatever you want to do, man. It's none of my business. But you can't come across this line right here. These are mine. Does that make sense? I don't know if you... Am I doing okay? Yeah? Am I? Okay. Um, here's the last one. Just the power of permission. What's permission? You know, when your kids know they have your blessing, dad, not just mom, dad. When they have your approval, it allows them to move forward in life. Okay, here's what I've learned. Here's what I experienced. Here, here's what any other man ever picked this up. If you do not have the blessing of your father, it does not mean you will not be successful. In fact, not having the blessing of your father, you actually will work harder to be successful, to prove to the people who are in your life that you were worth it, that you can do it, that somehow they missed something they should have given you. You'll work harder than everybody else and you will be successful, but you will never enjoy the success because you don't know when to quit and you don't know when it's enough because no one's ever said that's enough and you're good enough. And so what will you do? You will work yourself into a heart attack. It's awesome. You will outwork everybody. You will prove constantly that you are valuable and you are worth it and that people can't live without you. And some of you right now, you're uncomfortable and you're stop. Stop. Give your children your permission. Jesus had it. Matthew 3, 17. A voice. The first part is more significant or equal in significance to the blessing. A voice. So it was out loud where Jesus heard it. A voice from heaven said three things. You are my son. I love you. And you please me. That is 
in the hole is your blessing, your permission. Look at your child and tell them, you are mine. You belong to me. You're not an accident. I don't reject you. You're not somebody else's. You don't belong someplace else. You're mine in history right now. I want you and I love you. The words, I love you, never underestimate the power of telling your child, I love you. And then the last one, man, tell them that they please you. Even if you think, I've lived my whole life, they have to know inside of my, they do not know until you verbalize it. Verbalize it. I love you. You please me and you are mine. And to the men in this room, <laughs> it's harder to do that when you've never had that. And so what men will go is, well, my dad was not a very emotional person. I get that. You're probably not a very emotional person either. And believe it or not, outside of this pulpit, I'm not a super emotional person. Something happens when I get up here and I'm willing to go, Ugh, here it is. Love me, hate me, like me, reject me, here it is. But when I'm out of here, I, don't, I go like this. I don't want people to see that part of me. But with my children, man, I am this. You have all of me. You are mine and I want you and I love you and I own you. Not own you like you're my slave, but I own you like you are valuable. You're mine. God gave you to me. And so this morning, man, all of them are writing me and telling me. <laughs> Katie actually sent me this little thing that for the next year, once a day, it asked me a question about my life that I'm supposed to answer. And at the end of the year, it puts it together in a book. It was a cool little thing. And so why do you want that, Kate? What? I don't know if I want to answer a question every day. Instead, <laughs> I just want to know you. I want to know who you are. I'll give you the last one real quick and then just be done. The last one under the permission. Recently, Amy got married again. It's, um, it's one of the joys of our life. And if you've gone to our church for any length of time, it was a very public divorce because we're a public family and because she was on staff, is on staff, and uh, Marcus was on staff when things went south and they had gone south for several years and it was not able to be salvaged, and we had done everything that we could possibly do, it turned into a divorce. And you know, many of you have experienced that in your own lives, or maybe with your children, or in your family. Here's the difference, it, it was public for us. We had to go through it publicly. And I would say two things about it real quickly. You were awesome to let us just be human. You didn't say you're pastors, and therefore you cannot go through anything like that, and if you do, then you're not worthy to be up there leading. Thank you. Thanks for treating us like other human beings. And then the second thing is just simply this, that our hope in this was, you know, God, her life's not over. It, it's, it's not done. We know, God, you're the God of a second chance. And if you don't believe that, Jesus is the proof that God has given all mankind a second chance at salvation. He created it in a perfect way where we'd enjoy his presence forever. We messed it up and God fixed it by sending Jesus to put it all back together. He's the God of a second chance. And you can go all through scripture. Think of King David. He needed a second chance. Saul needed a second chance. Paul the apostle needed a second chance. Peter needed a second chance. All the disciples needed a second chance. God offers second chances, doesn't he? So that when <laughs> she meets Ryan... Ryan is here in our church. What a wonderful guy he is. And Chris and I see the attraction happening and we're wondering, you know, what will happen with this? And is it right? And we just had to let, hey, God, you do what you need to do. But to watch that thing come back together and watch God give them a second chance. Amy said they got married in our backyard three weeks ago, four weeks ago, four weeks ago, somewhere in there. They got married in the summertime uh, in our backyard. And... Um, Amy said, Dad, would you uh, write a blessing for Ryan and I and speak it over our lives? It's the first thing she asked for. So I do the ceremony, and, um, and the Lord gave me what I just said to you. He's the God of a second chance. And I just went through 
example after example of the people that God gave a second chance to. And I said, Ames, you know, you didn't cause what happened, but it's a second chance right now. And so God, listen, here's the good news. Pastor John said this since I started the church 22 years ago. Listen to this. (laughs) God does not define you by what happened back here. God is totally defining you by what goes forward this way. He is not like this and because of this, you can't. He is always like, put it in the past and move forward. I'll give you a second chance, a new life, a fresh beginning. And to watch that happen for her. But you know what she needed through the whole thing? She needed for me to stand beside her and just tell her, honey, keep your head up. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about it. Your mom and dad are okay with you. We hold you in esteem. You have not lost that place with us. And so do not feel, because the devil's lie to her every day was shame. Shame, shame, shame on you. And she walked around with this great, and I would have to take shame off in layers of her. That's not who you are. That's not what God said about you. That's what the devil said. You stop this right now. That was my job in giving her permission to live your life again. Dad, give your permission for your kid to live their life. Bless them. Speak it over them and give it to them. And I'm done. And I realize it kind of meandered and winded and just like, hey, you know. But I, I just think that here's the, here's the way that I'll end it and I got to get you out of here. So I'm going to give you this blessing and then I need you to go. Okay? So this is a portable blessing. That's what this is, a portable blessing. Will you bow your heads with me? So I want to speak over, like for everybody who hears the message, but right now for men and in particular for fathers. I just want you to hear these words. If you've never heard them before, if you have, bravo. But if you've never heard them before, I pray that these words, which are really spiritual seeds, will penetrate your heart and will find the soil where they can germinate and it will spring up And as it springs up, that nothing that the enemy throws your way will choke it out or stop the growth of it. And that the fruit that's going to come from these words, you're going to eat it in your lifetime. So here's what I bless you with. You are my men. I love you. And I am pleased with you. You are my men. You're the men who got out of bed this morning. You're the men who love God enough. You're the men who showed up. You probably feel ordinary. You probably feel anything but extraordinary. You probably think sometimes you don't like what you're doing and you don't know if it's making a difference and you wonder if anybody even cares. I get it because I hear the same voice in my head too. And I'm telling you right now, you're my men. And I own you as my men. I love you. And I'm pleased with you. I'm pleased that you're here. I'm pleased that you care. I'm pleased that you're trying to lead your family. And I take off of you shame and I take off of you all of that inferiority and all of that stuff that just leaves you in confusion. Man, I bless you with clarity. I bless you with eyes to see and ears to hear and a mind to clearly understand. I bless you when you walk out of this place that you're different than how you walked into it. I bless you. I bless you. I speak God's life over you. I speak his help over you. I speak his abundance over you. I speak success over you. I speak goodness over you. Reconciliation. Man, I speak where things are broken in relationships. 
God is the repairer of the breach and that he actually would use you to do it. I speak over your life, God's purpose, God's righteousness, and God's goodness. Man, every, (laughs) this is what Isaiah says, every tongue that rises up in judgment against you, God will show to be wrong. Every weapon formed against you shall not prosper. Things may come your way, but they're not from me, says the Lord. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Your children shall be disciples as taught by the Lord himself, and great shall be their peace and undisturbed composure. That's the prophecy of Isaiah to God's people. That's who you are. No weapon formed against you, no tongue that rises up in judgment. You are the blessed. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. That's who you are. Come on, men. Come on, fathers. Come on. Take your place. Don't be cowed back anymore, pushed around, made to feel like it doesn't matter. The devil's great weapon is to lie you into submission, to just lie, 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 lie. May God give you ears to recognize truth from a lie right now. Reject the lie and embrace truth. You'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to me.